My fear now is of cliché, of complacency, of not being able to feel authenticity in myself and those around me. John Hawks. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hole. And I'm Lee Esses. We are going today with the version of novel red flags that I approve of the most. Most of these things, I'm more than likely going to make a soup out of the book rather than read it. In this particular case, we are talking about cliches and tropes, and I feel like these are actually underutilized a little bit in books. So it's more of like a yellow flag than an actual red flag, just like a mm, be cautious, but don't avoid it entirely. So when it comes to cliches and tropes, we've talked quite a bit about these. We have actually promoted these quite a bit. Using the right cliches, using the right tropes in your story can really help you build a groundwork for characters, for setting, without having to spend a lot of work hashing out the details. And it gives your readers an easy way to pick up, yes, this is this kind of character. However, there are a lot of cliches out there that are just simply bad. Which cliches are making your readers throw the book away and close it and set it aside will differ depending on your target audience and the type of genre that you're writing. So when we talk about tolerance level, I actually have an 8 out of 10 tolerance. There are a handful of cliches that I really don't like, but they are fairly specific to my writing style and my reading style. So I'm going with an 8 out of 10 for my tolerance level here. For me, probably a 7 out of 10. But again, it really depends on the trope, on the cliche, and how it's used. Now, there are some fairly universal cliches that if I see this in a book, I will have to know what the twist is, what makes this version of it unique fairly quickly. Otherwise, if I see a love triangle, I'm likely to put the book down. It's one of the reasons I'm hesitant to pick up the second book when it's released of the one I ranted about last week, because it feels like it's being set up for a love triangle that doesn't work. Also because it's combined with another trope you really don't like, which is the bound by destiny or bound by magic romantically. Yeah, if there's no free will with the characters, it makes it very difficult to root for them. None of it feels healthy. Another one that I've seen that drives me batty is the miscommunication trope. That can happen, but unless it's resolved fairly quickly, It feels like a lot of drama for the sake of drama. There is a tendency, especially with newer authors, to try to fill up act two and fill up the middle of their book. And I feel like that miscommunication trope or uh, pregnancy trope sometimes or the drama for the sake of drama is just sort of putting off the end and fluffing the word count. It's not contributing to the story. And a lot of the time, those miscommunications come from a character who is the Mary Sue kind of character. Obviously, it's not just Mary Sues that are guilty of the miscommunication, but I feel like in stories, they are more apt to do that because they're perfect. And it's usually wrapped up in a love triangle. And it's just a whole mess with your Mary Sues. They commit all of these trope problems. 
Well, she's not a Mary Sue if she thinks she's ugly, right? That makes it okay. <laughs> you should see my facial expressions right now. No. <laughs> Ugliness is not a character flaw, and that should not be used as one within a story. So as you can tell, even though we both said that we have a pretty high tolerance for the cliches and these tropes, there are still some that only serve to make the novel worse and don't serve to make the novel better or serve the audience in any way. So all of those ones and more that are just bad cliches, my tolerance level is like a one. Now, just because a character thinks they're ugly doesn't mean it's a bad book. There are ways to do these things that we've talked about well. The miscommunication trope, I am fine with in a comedic sense. When you've got the who's on first, I don't know's on second, that's amusing. So each of these tropes that we've talked about can be done well if you add a twist to it or if you find the right place for it. Just look at any of our episodes where we've talked about the good cliches that can help boost and improve your story overall so long as they're used correctly. One of my favorite ways to look at cliches and tropes is think of them as ingredients in the recipe of the meal that you're creating with your novel. So watermelon is great. Ranch dressing is great. Please do not mix them up. If you do, tag me on Facebook. I'll be fascinated to see the expression on your face with that one. <laughs> no kidding. So in the right place, in the right circumstance, watermelon can be really good. However, you're not going to put it on a pizza. It's just not good on pizza. Say what you will about pineapples. Pineapples belong on pizza, but watermelon does not. <laughs> but take that watermelon and stick it into a toss with cantaloupe and honeydew and call that a comedy genre. And it's a great combination because you have similar things that work well together that boost each other instead of clash flavor-wise. Another thing that we don't want you to think is a cliche or a trope in a negative way are those structures. It's a cliche because it works. It's a successful recipe for a novel. Lean into it. Just look at Shakespeare. His stories are nothing but cliches and tropes, but you've still heard of him. We still use Shakespeare in our classes to study playwriting and poetry. So just because it uses the same kind of structures, the same kind of cliches, the same kind of tropes doesn't mean it's bad or wrong. They're a good recipe. And I don't want to discount the value of time passing in your novel. Your main character can start off as a cliche and then grow into something unique. They can start off as the cheerleader dating the football star and then join a D&D &D group and expand her palette and become interesting. We have to start seeing evidence of that being the trajectory of the novel fairly quickly, though. I think one of my favorite examples of that is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I will say, especially those tertiary characters, the ones who show up for like one scene and then are gone, they are allowed to be cliché because we want to get a quick grasp of them. So if you fit them into a mold that the audience is already familiar with, you don't have to spend a lot of time on something that is not worth spending time on in your story. 
Yeah, it's the thug, it's the barman, it's the waitress, whatever. You don't need to detail that out. So the ones that are the problems, what exactly makes them a problem? What makes that a red flag within your writing? First and foremost, it feels inauthentic. If you are using a cliche incorrectly or without that twist, then it just feels like you are taking pieces from other stories and slapping them together without crafting it into something that is your own. Another thing that makes this a red flag and something you want to avoid is that it's very easy to be unkind to certain groups of people. Yes, cliches are really easy to accidentally slip into a harmful stereotype. This is why we do encourage the twist, the cheerleader who is actually a warrior, or the biker whose pet chihuahua rides in a basket with him on his Harley. Those are the kinds of twists that you can add to make sure that you are still creating a variety within a group of people. And the biggest thing that makes it a red flag in my book is it feels like lazy writing. I don't have an interesting version of this character, so I'm going to throw in a cliche or a trope. There are plenty of ways to fix this. As we've said a couple of times throughout this podcast, the easiest is to just add that twist. Make it a cliche, but with something different, something unique that you've introduced into it. The more you can add depth to the characters, the healthier it will be and the more unique each of them feel, the farther away you get from these cliches and tropes. Another way to avoid or fix these cliches and tropes if you see them popping up in your story is to resolve them immediately, especially those tropes where the character thinks she might be pregnant. The next scene, she takes a test and she's not, and they move on with life. Another thing to realize is that it is absolutely okay if your book feels like something else. There are comp titles for a reason. If somebody says, oh, your book is just like fill in the blank, take it as a compliment, especially if it is a story that is well-known and well-loved by other people. If you feel like you're starting to create tropes and cliches within your own writing, Set aside your work in progress and take a week or so to write that as a cliche and make fun of yourself. Make it into a satire about whatever this particular cliche is that you keep leaning on. If you're approaching them as a satire, one, it's really healthy that you can make fun of yourself. And two, it'll force you to think about the cliche differently, and that can easily help break you out of the cycle that you're possibly dropping into. As we've said time and time again, cliches are not a bad thing. It is all in how you use it. So make sure you do some research into it, find the right ones, spend time crafting your characters and their stories and create something that fits what you need in your world and then go write selfishly if you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on facebook by searching for aspenhouse publishing 